In this final Forage Shrubs podcast, hear the MSF team chat with Nutrient Livestock Specialist Daniel Shupan. We discuss lessons learned from our Forage Shrubs project and how shrubs stack up against other approaches to keeping stock going during times of feed shortage. We're um, sitting here in Oyen. We've had a great day looking at fodder shrubs today and I've got Nick Poultridge from MSF and Daniel Shupan, who works for Nutrien as a livestock consultant. And how's the day been? It's been pretty interesting. What do you think, Nick? I've had a really good time. We went to John Arendt's place. He's one of the people in the Victorian Valley that's using shrubs really well. So he's got saltbush and he's got annual ryegrass growing in the, in, in the inter-row space and he manages his grazing very carefully. So it was really good to see what he's getting out of forage shrubs. It was a pretty impressive setup that he had there. He had multiple paddocks of fodder shrubs, so he was able to rotate his sheep through there. Daniel, you've been working in this space for a while. What's your experience? What do you normally see when people have got fodder shrubs? Because people tend to have fodder shrubs on their place, but they're not always probably as, as manicured as the ones we saw today. Yeah, I probably like to think of them as um, feed wedges across the year. Um, so how they fit into your program and what we saw today was really good. That um, not was obviously opportunities there, but the main reason and there is to use on that the land that's wasn't productive, and which it is now, but there's more the key times to fit into that altered period for lambing. Um, there's an option there to feed in there, lamb in there, and then obviously before the stubbles come on, there's the option there. So. He's built it. He's actually thought about it and built him into the program or how he can utilize that in the program. And if he doesn't need that paid fee, then he looks at opportunities as well. It's yeah. good to see he's flexible in the way he uses it. He's just bought some sheep because sheep are cheap at the moment and uh, he thought they're viable and he bought some webbers to put in there this week. So that was interesting. Yeah. Mm, so they're not just an opportunity in the dry years. They're not really, I, I guess that was one of the key learnings I got out of today. I always thought people had saltbush set up um, when they had a big feed gap caused by dry years, but this was more of an opportunity with the saltbush that there was some extra feed there and, yeah, he was making the most of it, buying some extra sheep in. Now, a unique feature of his setup is that he's got a couple of hundred acres of unproductive ground, which is, has all been put down to this saltbush. He did initially plant it densely, but over the years, he's found that it's using up a lot of the water and he's actually pulled out every second row now so that he can get diverse pastures growing in the gap. So that was one interesting thing. Yeah, and that just helps out with the nutrition as well. So improved pastures. Well, we actually sowed ryegrass in there, so provide a better quality feed for the livestock. So there's a balance between the salt bush and the pasture growing in the interrows. Yeah, yeah quite. and I really enjoyed listening to I really enjoyed hearing all about the need for feed testing and how you put together the rations. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of challenges with growing saltbush and they've got to be worked through as producers. So there's the the nutritional requirements for the actual sheep itself on the intake. So we are restricted by intake. Well those livestocks we have to provide the hay and grain and the amount's gonna vary a fair bit depending on the requirements of a young growing stock or they late pregnant use of lambs at foot, so that requirement's going to vary. But so it's not only the challenges of the livestock of fencing, water, et cetera, but it's the challenge of the plant and managing the plants also a challenge to the... Yeah, so John's found a solution with that, to that with his flail mower. 
That was good to see. It was interesting to see that he had years landing down in there today. Talk us through that flower mower, Nick, because a lot of people would have water shrubs on their property, just a hangover from days when there were less options in dealing with unproductive land. Now we can, we've got better farming systems. We tend to crop through sand hills and we've got better varieties, better nutrition, all whole package. But where does the flower mower come into reclaiming a stand that somebody might want to go back to? Well, I think John got his flower mower from a council. It was an ex-council one. And it's something that he can mount on the linkage, his tractor, and uh, run along and take the top off the shrubs if you've ever let them get too big. So it was great to see that. But he did say that if you're really on top of your grazing management, then you shouldn't really need it. I guess the key he said with trimming it back, do it in stages. Mm. That was quite interesting. He said, don't, yep. you need some leaf there. If you go down below the leaf level where there's livestock are grazed, you've got these really high plants at the Livestock it grows all the leaf off the bottom and you trim trim down to that zone, you, you'll kill the plants. It's really important to, as you said, still in the stages, losing the leaf then and gradually lower the height of those plants. Have you seen many people reclaim old saltbush stands, Daniel? Uh, not a lot. So, yeah, there's a lot of them around, but yep. don't see too many reclaimed. Mm. They'd be on the old, narrower row spacing recommendations to A lot of them are sort of small areas of the farm that are, yeah, they don't, they're just small, they haven't got the scale there to, to actually properly utilise, so they're just not utilised and they're just left there for the looks. And so, Daniel, you do get onto a lot of farms around the Tri-State Mallee. Are you seeing people managing the grazing well on them very often or is that still something where there's a fair bit of... Room for, for improvement. improvement. Mm. Oh, it's always room for improvement. Charlie, he's obviously trying to improve land percentages and push land percentages, so we can't actually, yeah, without supplementary feeding, we can't really push those animals to actually eat eat those plants back hard. So we, it has to be done with a lot of supplementary feeding. Otherwise, we affect the obviously reproduction and the land survival as well. So then we want to maintain that condition score. In one of the earlier podcasts we did, we talked to a bloke called Ian McNabb, and he is actually getting three landings every two years out of sheep that are grazing forage shrubs. So that was really interesting. We've seen another bloke on this trip, Daniel, who's just planting a small pocket of salt bush. He's going to have more challenges in using that, isn't he? Because he hasn't got it fenced up into into small paddocks. Yeah, I guess it's like that's coming more the the challenge of getting the pressure on to eat eat the shrubs back and keep them manageable. But as a diversity for feed intake, and it could be a good thing that sheep can just wander through and have a bit of pick on a salt bush and balance out their nutritional requirements, but then he's going to have to probably use mechanical means to yeah, keep the shrubs at a reasonable height that they don't get out of control because he won't, won't get it. If he's trying to push the pressure on to feed those shrubs that are unfenced in large paddocks, well, the rest of the paddocks are going to get burned out first for the large before the shrubs get overeaten. Yeah, but NSF at the moment through this shrubs project, we're putting together a shrubs decision tree that's supposed to guide people towards information that will help them better manage their shrubs. And certainly we've seen that there, there are scenarios where people have small pockets of shrubs mm -hmm. and that requires one set of management. And then there's other areas like we saw today where there's larger areas and it's easier to set up a cell grazing system. That's pretty much what it was today, wasn't it? It was very impressive. It was large enough scale to make it all work that you could 
good mob of sheep in the road table around and having that area. A lot of, if you had to shift from one little area to the next all the time, it does take a lot of time and labour to fair do that, which this system is labour efficient. So we've covered some of the challenges today. So if somebody was going to start afresh with a photoshrub system integrated into their livestock farming system, what are the things that people need to consider to set themselves up for success? Nick? First thing we've seen is that I guess the ones that are really pleased with how their shrubs are performing are the ones that have put it on their less productive land. So we'd probably still, well, people that have unproductive saline patches can reclaim them with shrubs and return them to some form of productivity. So that's good. If you've got large areas, it's worth fencing them up into smaller size paddocks so that you can rotate your stock through them. We've learnt that. I think also a lot of, in the past, they put the rows too close together. Mm. So whoever you talk to these days, most of them wish they had them wider apart so they can get that machinery down the middle or get yeah, to grow a different feed because a lot of the nutrition still comes from the, the interrow. Yeah. Australian in the interrow, so the people that put little patches all too close together, getting the value out of them. So the shrubs have either died because they've been too close together and run out of moisture or people are now starting to pull them out and go wider. Yeah, there's some of the pulling them out and then getting getting a more productive companion pasture growing and complementary companion pasture growing in the interrow. What's a good interrow mix to put in with spotter shrubs? Oh, the ones we've seen in the last few months going around different farms is people sell grazing cereal in there or a ryegrass or they rely on self-sown medics and that sort of thing. Mm. Daniel, from a nutrition point of view, what do you think would be? Yeah, probably um, they could do is have a mix of a, a legume in there, but depending on what, if you're controlling weeds, it's definitely a cereal. If you're trying to get some early feed in there for a bit about winter laving, um, you can get going. You have cereal, get you going. Uh, cereal's also going to give you the option later down the trip that we can pay freeze it or you can let it go through as a standing crop as well and graze it. It does give you flexibility too that if you don't need that feed, you potentially can um, obviously harvest that grain as well. So it's really going to, yeah, everyone's going to be a little bit different. You might grow a legume in there as well in the mix. So there's a few different options there. What about watering points? That came up as um, John had a few reflections on that today. He did. He was saying that if he did it again, he'd set up two watering points so that he could get more even grazing across the plot. I'm not sure how many people would be prepared to do that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of things as long as it's in the centre of the paddock and you can get your natural grazing arc out from there. But the key thing is that you yeah, high-quality water. That's, you don't want any salt in your water because you've got so much salt in the feed. So the, the water intake can be up to double um, on salt by pl- plantation, so they can be drinking up to 14, 15 litres a day to flush out the last, which is probably going to be double than just down the stall pack. So you really make sure you budget for having extra water and then have good flow rate in your troughs, especially if you've got large mobs that you crash grazing. So just having enough water supply there so that it's really plan, planning how many sheep, how much you're going to drink per day and get that supply there. Now, it was interesting to see John had a diverse shrub planting today and it was interesting to walk through it and see which shrubs survived and which ones hadn't pulled through. I think it, for me it really highlighted the importance of careful grazing management if you've got diverse feeds on offer. Have you seen many 
patches where diverse feeds have been well managed, Daniel? Yeah, look, it doesn't matter what your pastures you've got with diversity in the lost, of course, it's going to eat the, the most palatable and highest energy value feed in your pastures. Yeah, it's one of those things. If it's shrubs, they're going to take out the one, yeah, the one they like first. And like I said earlier, you've got to know the requirements of that plant. So once we start getting diverse, yeah, do you go down the track of having all highly palatable, which then you can control the grazing, which if you have the mix, they eventually the, um, the more palatable and the one that doesn't persist is going to, yeah, end up not being, then you'll end up with one dominant species. Hey, Daniel, just finally, in all your travels, you've seen a lot of confinement setups. I mean, you've also seen shrubs setups. What do you reckon the pros and cons of of your your, t- your, your typical confinement setup are versus trying to get sheep through on shrubs? Yeah, your confinement's. They might be easier than all in one spot. So you can feed there. The shrubs are obviously going to provide a little bit. But I think if you really sit down and work it out, I'd, um, you potentially can still have your use and confinement early and use your larger, You might they might be, well, today they're 8 to 10 hectare paddocks. They're the areas that you land down in the confine. You've got your shelter, you've got a bit of privacy for those used to land down. So I'd be saving those areas to land down in times of need where you might set up and do it every year, but rather than don't, it's not nice landing down in actual small confinement pens. Yes. So it just gives you that bit of extra space. I just think it's been incredible the way that producers in the Vic Nully had embraced both confinement feeding and shrubs, actually. It's great to see them getting stock off their easily eroded country and putting them into either option. And yeah. it's, I reckon in the last two years yeah. there's been a big shift towards it, hasn't they? Well, even in the livestock system, once you reach it, when you the targets, they've got to come off the paddock. Well, you, you just have your feed wedges. Look, you buy and feed, you use another one of those feed wedges across the year. How you build into your livestock system? Mm, it was definitely a fantastic day. We saw some really good things. This project has been brought to us by the Mallee CMA, promoting innovative grazing options. So there is still some more work happening in this space, Nick. Yeah, we're still developing information packages that are going to go up on our website. We're releasing podcasts with various growers that have had success with shrubs and um, we've, and we're running a workshop tomorrow that we're looking forward to, Daniel, comparing con- different approaches to confinement feeding and getting sheep through a tight, what has been a fairly tight autumn. Yep, we'll talk to a few more growers and see what their experience has been like. But in the meantime, if people want more information, we've got the Fodder Shrubs decision tree. Yep, that's coming up. Uh, it's going to be on the Nelly Sustainable Farming website along with various fact sheets and other comprehensive resources about shrubs and their fit within the Mallee. So stay tuned for that. It's been a great day in Oyen. Thank you very much to both of you for joining us. And yeah, stay tuned. Good on you, Tanya. Thank you. And you, Tanya. This project is supported by the Mallee Catchment Management Authority with funding from the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more, like and subscribe to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. Catch you later.